If you have your Bibles, you can go to Acts chapter 4. I'm only going to be on one. Well, that's all y'all got to go through with Acts 4. Before we do this, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to worship you, to praise you. Father, I pray that you will open up our hearts and our ears to hear your word. Father, I pray that you will take me and remove me and let them only hear you. Father, I pray for all the sickness that is going on. Father, I pray that you will just touch them and heal them. Father, we know that you are the great physician and you can do all things, Lord. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Lord, awaken your people with power. What does that mean? And why did I choose awakening as, as a kickoff for 2024? Like, why this message? Because before the new year rolled in, I kind of felt God in my spirit you know, saying, get ready for something incredible. You know, I've had people kind of give us words over the church, over certain individuals in the church. And I got a feeling that we're like on a threshold of an outpouring on God's power like we have never seen before. Like something about this year is different. Like it's the year of, of exposure for, for a lot of people. It's the year of, of anointing. It's the year of power. But we have to do our part, right? Before we get there, we have some spiritual work that we have to get done and, and some exercises of faith that we have to walk through. So this year will be like one that, that, that we've never seen before, I think. And I'm going to try to give you this word, how God gave it to me. So if you see me looking down, I'm trying to stick to it and not go off on rabbit trails. Because I want to make sure that I'm giving the word that God has given me to give to you. And I have a feeling that God is asking us to move in faith like we have never done before. And it starts with an awakening. Now, awakening is simple. This is the first point. Awakening is simple. It's not hard. Like if you listen to religious people and if you listen to people who try to control you, they will try to make you think that awakening is something that is hard to do, that there are steps. But awakening is simple. And awakening is simply the act of waking from sleep. It is moving from one place of slumber to a place of activities. So when we wake from our sleep and we rise from our beds and we take on each new day, whether it be an alarm clock, whether something wakes you up, there's a sound that wakes you up, right? Something that disturbs you and something that calls you out of your sleep. And maybe your routine has been so consistent, you no longer have to sleep with an alarm. I'm not like that because I have to have an alarm. Because Especially working third shift, I will sleep all day. But no matter the method, we are called from our sleep and we're brought back to the awareness of the day. We're no longer in our slumber. We're no longer in our sleep. But today in this season and this year, I feel an urgent call from God and I hear his voice and I feel the spirit urging his church to wake up, not just ours, but the church as a whole to wake up because somewhere along the way in the past 20, 30 years, the church has really dropped the ball somewhere. And he's calling the church to wake up and I feel the spirit of God compelling the people of God to awaken from their sleep. But we have a major problem in the American church right now. I don't want to say the church as a whole, because if you go over to the east, the church of the east is doing really good. They're really devoted. They're really in their prayer. And the problem with the American church is not beyond fixing. If we think that the, the problem with the American church is too far gone to repair. Where's our faith? 
It is not beyond fixing, but it is beyond anything that we can do on our own. Like We're going to have to have God in this, right? The church in America is in decline. The church is decreasing. People are leaving the church. People are, like once they turn 18 and they don't have to listen to their parents anymore, they're out of the church. Something happens, they, they, get, they get church hurt and they leave the church. They abandon the faith. All these things are happening, causing the church in America to decline. And I worry it's because the church is falling asleep and we're not seeing what's going on around us. So let, let's, be, let's be clear today that the power of the gospel message of Jesus Christ has not changed. So it's not the gospel message's fault that the church is in decline. It's the ones who have put, been put in charge over it. The presence and the power of God has not changed. The move and the leading of the Spirit has not changed. God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? He does not change. So if we know that God has not changed, something has happened to make the change happen, right? And it's not Him. We could start by rattling off all these excuses. We can say that, oh, it's because of COVID and it's because of the pandemic and people got comfortable watching church online instead of coming to church. People can say that all the social issues and the racial issues that are going on in the world, that's why the church is in decline. It goes deeper than that. It's because the church has fallen asleep and there's several reasons for it. It's not just one reason. It's true that we're facing, facing like some radical shifts in our culture. Like our, our country right now is so divided either you're left or you're right, you're Democrat, you're Republican, you're, you're on this side or that side, and, and, and the world is telling us, pick a side. We're a society of conveniences. If it's not convenient, I'm not going to do it. That's, that's really the number one reason that I stopped live streaming our church services, because it's convenient. If we give people the option to watch at home or come here and gather as a body to where they can actually be edified in community, which one are they going to pick? They're going to pick staying at home in the comfort in their pajamas, right? So we don't live stream anymore. We post later. So if you want to come to church and you want to get encouraged and you want to get built up and you want to surround yourself with community, you're actually going to have to show up. Our comfort drives us more than, than we're actually willing to admit. No one likes to get out of their comfort zones. And I've been preaching this for I don't know how long, about getting out of your comfort zone. And I'm preaching it more to myself than I am to anybody else because I get really comfortable too. I don't like to operate outside of my comfort. I don't like to operate if, if I think I'm going to fail, or if I think that it's going to make me look stupid. I don't want to do it. Why? Because I'm human. That human and that fleshly aspect of me is still there. And I have to die to it daily, right? It's not easy to do, but but we have to be able to do it through God because we can't do it on ourselves. Because if we, if it was based on us, like if I had to make the decision, I'm going to die to myself, I will never do it. I have to have the Holy Spirit within me helping me die to self. And we're a nation of consumers. We consume, right? We consume Starbucks. We consume Target and Walmart and Netflix and Disney and all this other. We, we just consume and consume and consume. And it's no different in the church. The church has become consumer Christianity. It's what can I get out of, out of church? What can you give me rather than what can I give the body? We reversed the roles of the church because Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you, and yet, for some reason, as the body, we think that we're owed everything. 
The worship has to match our preference. If there's not a good kids program, we don't come to church. If there's not a good youth program, we don't come to church. Gone are the days of just hearing the gospel message and being set free of sin and death. Instead, we want to get all these programs together so that we can actually fill our already busy schedule. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? The church that he built is not complicated. Man has overcomplicated church. He's overcomplicated the gospel. He has oversaturated it with, with so much stuff that people don't even know the gospel anymore. You ask somebody what the gospel is, and they're going to tell you it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like, no, that is the gospels. That is four books written about the life of Jesus. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. That because of the fall in the garden, Jesus had to come and die in your place because you owed a debt that you could never pay. We have allowed cultural trends to creep up into the body of Christ. And that's bad, right? Can anybody tell me why there is a reason why some, some of these churches you can't tell the difference between the house of God and a club or a bar? You want to tell me why you can't tell the difference? It's because culture has crept into the body of Christ. And, and for some reason, churches think if I look like them, if I dress like them, and if I talk like them, they're going to want something to do with us. But Jesus said, I'm calling you out of the world. Not to be of the world, but not of the world. So you can't look like them. You can't dress like them. You can't talk and act like they do. You are separate. Everybody wants to be loved and everybody wants to be liked, but God said they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you for my name's sake. They're going to persecute you. If you were if you were in Christianity to be liked and to be popular, you're in the wrong religion. You're in the wrong belief system. My intent is not to beat us up today or to start off the new year on a hard note. My intent is to echo what God has been speaking to my heart about the church. We've all seen God do some pretty amazing things, haven't we? We've seen God move. We've seen revival break out. We've seen healings happen. We've seen miracles happen. And that goes without saying that we have seen some great things. And God has so much more in store for us. And I truly believe that the best days are to come. But God wants to reawaken us to His power and to His authority. And I've said this before and I'll say it now more than ever. Today, this year, this time, this season is not a time to retreat and shrink back. It is time for God's church to advance. It is time for us to take back some land, to take back some territory. Sometimes suffering is necessary for our advancement, though. Sometimes we are going to have to suffer, and we're going to have to go through trials and some tribulations, and we're going to have to go through some things. But in those, in those trials and in those afflictions, God is building you stronger. Because sometimes that suffering is meant to kill something off inside of you that doesn't need to be there. It's meant to kill off flesh. It's meant to kill off desires. It's meant to kill something off. And it's high time that his people move from a defensive strategy of just trying to maintain the status quo of church and into a, go, go back into boldly declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without shame, without being afraid, without saying, well, what are they, they going to think of me? Who cares? In the end, when we get to heaven and we stand before God, whose opinion is really going to matter? Is it going to be the one that you wanted to impress or is it going to be God? Because when we get there, Scripture even tells us this. I'm going to get into Scripture. Just give me a minute. <laughs> scripture even tells us this. 
the, 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 some came to Jesus that day and said, hey, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I, I, I witnessed and spread the gospel in your name. He's like, but I never knew who you were. Depart from me. I don't even know who you are. So our main verse comes out of Acts 4.31. And I want to take us there because of what's taking place in the biblical history. Acts 4.31 says, And when they prayed, and when they had all prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. This verse is a conclusion of a remarkable series of events that took place with people in the early church. Because in the previous chapter, Peter and John see a beggar begging for money outside of, of the gate, and they healed him in the name of Jesus. This was the guy that was known to be lame from birth. He was out there begging for money, and Peter looked at him and said, look at me. He says, I don't have money. I don't have gold, and I don't have silver. But what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Which to me, and probably to him, was far more valuable than that gold and that silver that was going to hit his cup. He might have been looking for money, but he found Jesus in that moment. Peter and John tell the crowd of what happened, and it lands them in some pretty hot water. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they didn't like what they did. The religious authorities had gone to great lengths to shut down Jesus' influence within the city. Because they told them, hey, if you speak his name, if you go out and you continue to preach his message, we will put you in prison. We will kill you. We like we don't want to hear this guy anymore. Like we killed him, we crucified him. That's it. Game over. Shut up about it. But what they didn't realize is that Jesus is who he says he is. And three days later, he rose up from the dead and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. So we see this exchange take place in Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Verse 18 says, So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you have to judge that. For we cannot help but to speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For they were all praising God for what would happen. For the man whom this sign of the healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And when they released them, they went to their friends and reported to the chief priests and the elders and said to them, and, and when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who brought the mouth of the father of David, your servant, says, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and his anointed ones. For truly in this city they gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, against the Gentiles and to the people of Israel. We have to look at what's taking place here. God was on the move, right? And those who rejected Jesus were coming against his move. They thought like, hey, we got this. He's done. We're not going to hear about Jesus anymore. He's not going to cause any more ruckus. We don't have to worry about him. They, they, they were doing threats. They were trying to warn them. They tried to shut down the testimony given by Peter and John. But the enemy tries to put the enemy tried to put the influences of the early church to sleep. We see the enemy coming against the church now, and we think it's something new. 
this isn't new. This has been going on for over 2,000 years. Like we are in a fight. Like when you get saved, like it's not like the consumer Christianity tells you or the prosperity gospel tells you that nothing is going to happen to you, that you're going to have this great life and it's going to be rainbows and unicorns from that day forward. No, when you get saved, you have entered into a war. Before you get saved, you, you're, not a, you're not a threat. You're not an enemy because you're doing exactly what the enemy wants you to do. But once you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you then become a threat because He knows the greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. He knows that you as an individual, you're not that strong, but the Holy Spirit within you has limitless power. And if you are operating in Holy Spirit power, no enemy, no demon, no threat, no principality will stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Satan tried to put a stop to the boldness that had been displayed in Peter and John. He tries to put a stop to what we're trying to do, what you're trying to do in ministry and in life. How many times have you tried to be a good influence for, for God and something happens and you just try to shut, shut it down real quick? You get embarrassed. You get, you get tripped up. You, get, you stumble a little bit. You might cuss a little bit. And, and, and Satan's like, you know what? You suck. You're not a good Christian. You're not good. You stumbled and you failed. You're like, yeah, maybe you, maybe you're right. Jesus says, you know what? I know you're not perfect. You are going to stumble. You are going to fall. That's what I'm for. That when you do stumble and you do fall, I'm there to pick you up. Even when people abandon you, even when people leave you, even when people try to ridicule you, I'm still there. I'm still standing beside you. And it's at this point that the people had a choice. Just like at this point, you have a choice and I have a choice. Will we be silent or will we speak with boldness? Will they be put to bed? Will they succumb to the pressures of the enemy that's being placed on them by the religious leaders? Or will they continue to teach the name that is above all names? That is the choice. The second point is which awakening is going to actually take hold? Would Peter and John and the people be awakened to the threats coming against them or will they back down? If you've read the story, you know they don't back down. But we're not too sure about our story. Would Peter and John and the people be awakened to the power of God that prevails over any threat? And this is the wake-up call that I believe that God has been shouting to the church for decades. Will you finally wake up? Will you stop backing down? Will you stop bending to culture? Will you stop bending to politics? Will you stop bending to all this stuff? I'm sick of politics. And we're in a political year and it's just going to get worse. I'm sick of it. In the body of Christ, there is no left, right, Democrat, Republican, black, white, yellow, green, purple. It is we are now one. Paul put it this way. There's no longer man, woman, Jew, Jew, Greek, Gentile. We're all one in the body of Christ. If the world isn't dividing the church, the church is dividing itself because you got this denomination and that denomination and this denomination, this belief system and that belief system, and it's all BS. It's all a belief system that makes no sense. If you want a good belief system, read the Bible. If it is in the Bible, I, 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 I can speak to you because the pastor of this church. As small as we are, if it is in the Bible, we preach it. We teach it. 
we believe it. We're not going to add to it. We're not going to take away from it because I have to answer for that and I really don't want to. <laughs> so yes, we have to become more aware of the challenges that face us as a church. Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there's no challenges coming against the church because there is. Yes, we have to become that, that, that we have to be aware that there's trends coming. Like there's some things that are going to be popular. Some things aren't going to be popular. The, the evil and the wickedness that is moving throughout the land, it is going to infiltrate some churches. But we have to be on our guard and not let that in. I don't know, and I'm right there with you. Sometimes it kind of gets discouraging to walk into church and there's like maybe 10 people here. But then I have to remember, and I remember this when I was pulling in, that the majority of churches in America are under 50 people. That we're normal. We have to become more aware of the spiritual decline within our society and the secular boldness that's coming with it. Because I, if you haven't noticed, the secular society is getting really bold when it comes to their preferences, right? If you don't accept me, you're a bigot. If you don't accept me, you're, you're a, a misogynist. If you don't accept They're trying to implement the world's rules and the world system on a church that is not in the, of this world. And it just doesn't work that way. There is a spiritual decline in our society, and I fear that it that is it, that is in this awareness that the enemy has been slowly but effectively putting God's church to sleep. He'll creep in just a little bit and, and say, "Well, he'll do exactly what he did in the garden." Did God really say? Did God really say that was a sin? Can't you just accept it? Can't you just go with it? Did God really say that you can't do that? Can't you just go with it? Did God really say that you can't cuss? Did God really say that, that you can't have pits of anger? Did God really say that you really have to be united? Did God really say that, that you have to be bold about your faith, that you can't like, that you can shrink back a little? Did God really say that? That is the best lie in the world that has ever been told. Because Satan does not have to actually get you to commit some huge sin. All he has to do is plant a seed of doubt. All he has to do is say, did God really say that? And while the church has been asleep for so long, it's because biblical literacy within the church is, is such a joke. So many people within the church do not read the Bible for themselves and they let somebody stand behind a pulpit and read it to them when they don't know what it says so whoever's behind the pulpit can make it say whatever they want it to say. And they'll just nod alone and they'll agree because, hey, that's the guy up there so he must know what he's saying. It's got to be right. But, the, the, but, but they're twisting and perverting the Word of God to the point that you don't even know which way is up anymore. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low. And we wonder why there's so many false doctrines and false teachings going on. Why there's so many false prophets that are just huge. Why? Because they speak to the flesh. If you speak to the flesh and you make the people feel good, they're going to continue to, to pump it in, right? The church sleeps in indifference and in passivity and in worry. The, the church sleeps in lack of boldness and lack of love and lack of giving. And I'm not just talking about tithes. I'm talking about giving of your time, talent, and treasure. 
The church is asleep and a lack of faith. What happened to the old days? What happened to like the 1900s faith? What happened to the Azusa Street faith? What happened to Brownsville faith? What happened to the day of Pentecost faith? What happened to the faith that, that, that Jesus says, greater things are you going to do in my name? What happened to the faith that we say that we have? Can you imagine what this church and all, all the churches really could do if we actually had the faith that we claimed that we did? If we had the boldness that we claimed that we had, can you imagine what we could do for the kingdom of God? The church sleeps under threats of persecution, after uh, threats of being canceled and being rejected. We sit back and we're like, well, I don't want to be canceled as a church. Who cares? I don't want to be rejected as a church. They rejected him. The enemy has a loud bark. He is really loud. He is really aggressive. But he has no power to do anything. So essentially, we're afraid of a barking chihuahua who has no power, who has no authority. And he knows exactly what buttons to push in order to make the church feel uncomfortable. And I think it's time that the church actually starts pushing back against the gates of hell. Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, but you know what? It will prevail against a man-centered church, and that's why so many churches are falling. Because they have based their doctrine, they've based their preferences, and they've based their whole belief system on one person who stands on a stage. If you ever put me on a pool, you know, on a pedestal, I'll knock myself off. Because I don't want to be on a pedestal. Because this is not about me. It's about God's glory, God's honor. God, my job is to equip you with the work of ministry for the with the gospel so that you can continue to spread the gospel. Our mission as a church is simple. I, I don't have this big, long, made-up, sounds really bougie, Mission statement. Our mission statement is simple. It's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's it. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Today is not a day to become fixated on the voice of the enemy. And I have a big problem about that sometimes because I will listen to voices that aren't God. Because sometimes the enemy will talk to you and it sounds like you. Because he can get you to believe yourself. If he can get you to start doubting yourself, he's already won. God didn't call you. God didn't equip you. God can't use you. You're messed up. You got a past. You got this and you got that. But what he fails to realize, what he fails to remember, is that when we come to Jesus, every bit of that is wiped clean. That if we are saved, that we are new now creations in Christ Jesus. But I need you to get this, and I need you to understand this, and I need you to hold on to it. Ready? If somebody has become a Christian, if somebody is now your brother and sister in Christ, and if they have wronged you, or if they have done something against you, they are a new creation and their sin is no longer counted against them. So stop playing judge, jury, and executioner and trying to pretend that you are God and hold that against them. Today is a day to be awakened by the power of God. And I want us to see two quick things that took place in Scripture in Acts 4.31. Again, Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. And awaking so powerful that the, that the Word says that the room that they were in 
shook. That they prayed with such faith and such boldness and such authority that, that basically an earthquake happened because the power of God was, was right there. Acts 4.24 tells us what the people did. They heard it. They heard the report. They lifted up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You know what they did? They prayed. They went right to God. They heard the threats. They heard, the, hey, if you do this, we're going to put you in prison. Hey, we're going to kill you. But what did they do? They went right to God. That's the two points I want us to look. They turned to His Word. They didn't turn to what they were saying. They turned to what God said. I can't imagine how people felt as Peter and John laid out what the Sanhedrin had expressed to them. Peter and John, especially Peter, because he, he had a temper, he had a mouth, and he had an attitude. I think that's why Jesus put John with him. Because John was like the loving one. He was the caring one and the compassionate one. Then you got Peter who was a hothead and had an attitude. He'll tell you what's thought to be real quick. So John was probably there to be like, hey, chill out. <laughs> I don't need you to cut off somebody's ear again. Like you need to chill out, Peter. They had been told to stop spreading the name of Jesus. These guys were serious and, and the guys were no joke and, and the threat was real. Like they weren't kidding. You have to think of the persecution that was taking place in the early church. I don't think they're old enough to understand, so I'm just going to tell you. They used to cover them in oil and, and hang them on the on posts and light them on fire so that, so that they could light the streets. They used to throw them in Nero's circus and get eaten by lions. They used to saw them in half. They used to do all kinds of cruel things to Christians just because of the name. They, that's where the name Roman candle came from. Because they would take Christians, cover them in oil, light them on fire, and that would be your, your streetlights. But instead of taking what they were saying to heart, the people of God did something else. They took God's word to heart. In Acts 4, that you find the people quoting Scripture as their prayer. When we see, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and His anointing. They were quoting Psalms 2. Psalms 2, verse 1 through 2. So when they were hearing the threats, what did they do? They did exactly what Jesus did in the wilderness. They started quoting Scripture right back to the enemy. What are you saying to those who are, who are trying to knock you down? Are you listening to those voices? Or are you listening to the, to the Word of God? And the early church knew the challenges that they faced. They knew the severity of the threats that were spoken over them. They knew because they've seen it. They've seen heads on pikes and Roman candles and people getting thrown into the lines. They've seen it all. Read Hebrews 11. It tells you what, what all they went through. A little bit. They knew, but instead of standing on those words, they stood on the words of God. And here's what's funny about that. Today, people become Christians so that they can be popular, so that they can look cool, or so that they can have a monetary gain, or so that they can get influence or popularity on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or whatever. But the early church had nothing of worldly gain and yet they didn't budge. 
The early church knew that if they claimed the name of Jesus, that there was a target on their back. That there was nothing that they could ever gain. And yet they still remain faithful. They still... It's, it's just crazy. When we read about the early church and we, and we look at the church, how we have it today, if we actually compared the two, it's a joke. Right? You see the boldness. You see the faith. You see what they went through. We see what they endured. And now, in today's church, if someone says something that we don't like or if something, somebody doesn't like what we're wearing or somebody doesn't like a certain program within the church, next thing you know, they've abandoned all their faith and they hate God. The church will fall asleep if we lose sight of the Word of God. So whose words are you taking to heart and whose words are you standing on? Are you standing on those who could really care less about God? Let's put it this way. Are you standing on the Word of God or are you standing on an Antichrist word? Because anything not of God, anything not for God is Antichrist. Right? Paul says there's many Antichrist spirits. That they've come into the world. They're still here. So what are you, are you standing on? The word on the street today is that the Bible is out of date and it's no longer relevant and it, is, it should not dictate our way of life. That His ways and His truth no longer have impact like they once did as, uh, on our nation. And the church can feel the weight of this shift. How many of us for the past 10 years have felt a shift in the church? Sometimes it's a good shift. Sometimes it's one of those shifts that kind of sends shivers down your spine because you're like, something's wrong. And I don't believe for one moment that, the, that these people didn't begin to feel some kind of discouragement as, John, as Peter and John started to give their report. These people were probably thinking, man, what have I, what have I really got myself into? Like they're, they're lighting us on fire. They're doing it. They're selling us up. And I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to lose everything that I got. And I believe that they felt a similar weight that we feel today as our nation turns from God. Everybody loves to say it, that America is a Christian nation. No, it's not. It used to be. But it is not anymore. If you want to get right down to it, yes, it's, it's, it's a nation of, of a God, but not the true God. We went from the worship and the reverence of Yahweh to the reverence and the worship of Baal. But these people were reminded in Scripture that those who plot against God are plotting in vain. Those who plot against children of God are plotting in vain because when God starts something in you, He will see it through to completion. God will prevail and the battle has already been won and the victory already belongs to Jesus Christ and the word on the street was given, but the word of God prevailed. We can look right here in our own city. Kids committing suicide. Drugs running rampant. Prostitution. Domestic violence. We see all of this just in our own city. And I've counted it up. There's at least, I'm going to go with like the bare minimum. There is at least 52 churches in Gunnersville. Why is our city in the shape in it, that it's in? If there are 52, at least 52 churches in Gunnersville, why is there still a drug problem? 
Why is there still prostitution? Why is there still domestic violence? Why are there, why are there kids committing suicide? They love to do these. They love to do these love them and leave them events where they pop up for one day and give them and give them and give them and give them. And next thing you know, they just leave them. They want salvation because they want to pump their salvation and their attendance numbers up, but there is no fellowship. So all they're doing is trying to throw seeds on rocky ground that's going to eventually get plucked up because there is no root taking place. Salvation without discipleship leads to unconversion. I want to challenge us today that if, if there's a word in your life that is dragging you down, if there's a threat, a thought, a fear, a temptation, a worry, or a doubt, or a message that, it, that is keeping your faith from, go, from going to sleep, maybe this word was spoken by a friend, a family member, a circumstance, a season, a hardship, authority, or the trends that are taking place now. Whatever the case, if it has bothered you and it has troubled you and it has consumed your life and, it, and if it has pacified your faith, give it to God. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. You really think that the devil has your best interest in mind? You really think that the devil is going to tell you the truth? You know what the funny thing about the devil is he'll promise you the world, but he can't deliver on his promises. He did the same thing to Jesus in the wilderness to say, hey, if, you, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus pretty much stepped back and said, how are you going to try to tempt me with my own stuff? I made this. And every time the devil threw something at him, he, the, the devil even tried to quote scripture to him. And this is the funniest thing because the part that the devil quoted, he forgot that there's a verse after that where it said that the devil was going to be defeated. He quoted Psalms where it says, hey, I forgot what it was. You bruised the head or something. But the next verse says, but I'll step on your head. This is the effect that the Sanhedrin hoped to have on Peter and John. It's the same effect that the enemy and those around you are trying to have on you. That, that the, the effect that the enemy hoped would have on the early church, but they sought God through prayer and they remained steadfast in His Word. The world might have a lot to say, and, and, and it does. There's noises all around us, right? Voices coming from everywhere, but be awakened today that through God's Word that He has given us that we have to fight and hope and renewal is not what the world says. But what God says in His Word will prevail. Do you actually believe that? Or do you believe that His Word is going to prevail? Because if you believe that, then you know that Jesus is coming back, right? And if He's coming back, He's not coming back for a church that, that's perverted with the world. He's coming back for a spotless, wrinkless, wrinkleless church. So they stood in God's Word and then they asked for His power. As the people of God prayed, I saw something very interesting. They did not ask God to stop the enemy. They didn't ask God to stop the threats. Verse 29 says, And now 
Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. I'm almost done. They didn't ask for the threats to stop. They asked that God would fill him, fill them all with power that they would enable their servants. They prayed, and the power that they asked for was to do something very specific. They didn't ask for the power to destroy them. They didn't ask for the power to overcome. They said, you know what, just, just give us the power and give us the authority to speak your word with great boldness. We don't need to get even. We don't need to fight back. Just give us a mouth. They stood on His Word to overcome the threats. Now they asked for God's power to speak His Word with boldness because they knew that they would need God's help to overcome the every obstacle that they were about to face. Because it doesn't get any better from here. It continues to get worse. Because what the Bible doesn't tell us, but what Jesus warned them about in Matthew 24 was that 70 A.D. was coming. And in 70 A.D., Jerusalem got wiped out by Nero and persecution. So this was just the beginning for them. Ever since day one, ever since the garden, the enemy has been trying to defeat and kill the Word of God and, and tried to defeat everything that he wants to do. But one day it's all going to come back into perfection. One day we're going to get that Garden of Eden experience all over again. And the earth is groaning for that. The earth is groaning for, for creation to come back to what it once was. You see the earthquakes, you see the tornadoes, the tsunamis, the hurricanes. That's the earth groaning for creation to come back to what the garden was meant to be to begin with. Because all of that, all the tsunamis and all the earthquakes is a result of the fall. Because you really think God was going to put an F5 tornado in the middle of the Garden of Eden? No. It's all a result of the fall. They knew that they would need God's help to overcome these obstacles, but God's power is going to prevail in their life and it's going to prevail in our life. We do not have the power to overcome the challenges of this world on our own. I need people to get this. And I'm pretty sure y'all get this. But you cannot be a Christian all by yourself. Christians are created for community. Hebrews puts it this way. Do not neglect the assembly of the brethren. You know why you don't neglect the assembly of the brethren? Because we push each other. We encourage each other. We build each other up. At least that's what we're supposed to do. That we are all we are members of the body of Christ. So the odds are stacked against us without the help of God. And I know that we realize this, but the church as a whole is beginning to fail at this because they think that they're all by themselves. That it's me versus this church. This church versus that church. And that is not the body of Christ. When our praise is substituted for performance, we're falling asleep in our faith. When our need for His presence comes second to our preferences, we're falling asleep in our faith. When, our, when the mission is buildings, budgets, we are falling asleep in our faith. Okay, When the church planning looks more like we're trying to franchise the church out, we're falling asleep in our faith. When career becomes more important than calling, we're falling asleep in our faith. When sports become more important than our calling in our churches, we are falling asleep in our faith. 
when, when, when my way takes place over servant leadership, we're falling asleep in our faith. When comfort dictates our level of commitment, we're falling asleep in our faith. All these examples, we place ourselves in front of the need of His power, and we wonder why the church is in decline. Because we, we look at God and we say, you know what, we know who you are. That's really cool, but you better do what I want first. How are you going to try to give orders to an almighty God? I am resolved and I am determined that it will never be said of the forge that we are a powerless church. That we still believe in signs, miracles, wonders, and, and the gifts. We still believe in all this stuff. That we have we have been substituted that, that we have substituted the things of the world for the things of God. That, that is never going to be said about us. That you're not going to be able to walk into this church and you're not going to be able to tell the difference between us and a bar. That you're going to walk in here and you're going to feel a presence in here, but it's not going to be dark. It's going to be the presence of the Holy Spirit. That we no longer have to invite the Holy Spirit in, but He's already here. I think it's funny that we meet at a rec center and sometimes it's kind of discouraging. Like I'm not, And sometimes it's tiring because I get tired of sitting all this stuff up, tearing it down and doing all this stuff. But here's the, the funny thing about it. Whether they want to hear it or not, they're hearing it. They might be here to play basketball, but they're hearing the gospel. They might be here for a birthday party, but they're hearing the gospel. I mean, I know I'm not loud, but I'm loud enough. My desire for this church is to, to experience the power that God has for each of us. Because every one of us, from the baby to the oldest, has a calling and a purpose and a gifting within this church. Well, and I'm sick of people saying, well, God can't use kids. Yeah, they can. <laughs> yes, He can. Paul told Timothy, do not be discouraged because don't let them despise you for your youth, but set an example for them in faith, love, hope, purity. Be the example. My desire is that we see this place shaken by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have some things coming that is going to move us in this direction, but I believe God is calling us to a place of change and to a place of an awakening right here. So in closing, I, I want to ask you, are, you, are you ready to wake up? I know we're aware of the issues, but how aware are you aware of the presence of God? What has your attention more than the presence of God or... or or the issues of the day? Are you more aware of the presence of God or are you more aware of your financial situation? Are you more aware of the presence of God or are you more aware of, of culture? I'm looking for people who will join me in prayer, who, who people who are willing to receive what God has for us, not just for today, not just on Sundays, not just when we gather, but for every single day of our life. Because if you're only living this on Sundays or Wednesdays, then I don't need it. This has to begin with the relationship with Jesus Christ and it has to begin by placing our faith in Him. And maybe God has awakened your need for a Savior today. Like, I don't, I don't know anybody's heart. I'm not a fruit inspector. I'm not. That's not my job to check everybody's fruit. It's not my job to check everybody's salvation. That's God's job. You might feel God calling you back or you might feel God calling you deeper. But what are you going to do with the call? Maybe you've got some sins that you need to repent of. And repentance is not just, hey God, I'm sorry. It's, it's a turn. Repenting is turning away from. Ask for, ask for forgiveness. 
And I want us to respond just like the people did in Acts 4. Not to take away the problems, but for us to be able to stand in the problems. To speak the Word of God over our life, over our homes, over our kids, over our work, over our city, over our nation. Not to look at the problems and the situations and be, be lulled to sleep, but it wakens a fire in us with boldness and authority and with power that we can't stop. We can't let the words on the street or the words of the world discourage or put us to sleep. And this year, we're going to face challenges. Like, yeah, this year is going to be a great time to see God move and see God do some great things, but it's also going to be a time of trials and tribulations. This year, we're going to face difficulties, but our God is going to prevail. And if we want God to move, then we have to move first. But the funniest thing about people saying, I want God to move is we actually wait on God to move and God is saying, I need you to stand up. I need you to move. God is not a genie who's just going to do based on our commands. He's like, I, I, I need your faith to have a little bit of action behind it. So I want to challenge you, reject any word or message of fear that might be trying to put your faith to sleep or to stop your faith. And may our souls be awakened by the power of God. So if everybody is staying...